And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real, man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to... Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 197 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 11.04 a.m. on June 7th, 2020. Here to join me today is Bianca Gardner. Hey. Dan Bayer. Good morning. Lauren LaMagna. What's up? Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Tom O'Brien. Girl. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, I like that things are starting off on a light, nice note here uh, compared to uh, the, the feeling of last week. Uh, last week was an emotional episode uh, for a lot of reasons, and that doesn't mean that uh, we have forgotten about uh, what is currently going on. Everything that is happening out in the streets all over the country is still happening, and um, I think the thing that from me that I'm most proud of over the last couple of days is that even with uh, some of the progress that's being made right now, people are still um, being louder than ever. The movement for Black Lives Matter is still going stronger than ever, and it's no, not showing any signs of slowing down. And I think that, you know, even if they do upgrade the uh, murder charges, they charge the other cops and the killing of George Floyd, and there's other justice uh, obviously still to be done and reforms that still need to be put forward. Um, I'm, I, I'm loving that this is not slowing down right now. Um, and it feels like equality is starting to win. Uh, not like the whole battle, obviously, but just get some small wins here and there. And uh, the progress is definitely um, very inspiring uh, to see, especially from all different kinds of people. Um, like I said, all over the country, there were protests in 50 states at like at the same time. I, it's just un unheard of. And I... I I'm just very proud that we're kind of like living through a historic moment right now and that everybody here on this team um, especially supports this movement. Um, I couldn't be more proud of this team and all the work that uh, you guys have done and also to um, the film Twitter community um, to help educate, enlighten, and bring about awareness to this movement. Um, it's been... It, it, it's been it's been really incredible, I have to say. It's like something that... Uh, is probably going to go down as maybe one of the most like incredible uh, moments of our of all of our lives that we lived through when all is said and done. So, just wanted to start off with that here. Um, does anyone have anything else to add on that? I would like to amend my previous statement. Um, good morning to everyone except Lady G. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and J.K. Rowling. <laughs> wow. <laughs> It's never a good morning for her. So. Yeah. 
All right, so a um, little bit of a rundown for what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Cannes Film Festival assist, official selection uh, lineup. Uh, so we know what fam, uh, what films will be carrying the Cannes uh, logo with them um, throughout film festivals later in the year. Fingers crossed that they actually happen. We're also going to be discussing our favorite Spike Lee films in anticipation for his latest release on Netflix, The Five Bloods. We're also going to be answering questions from the community. And uh, there have been some uh, movement as well um, from the in- film industry and how they're reacting to the Black Lives uh, Matter movement. So um, before we get to all of that, um, something that I did not do uh, last week on the show, but I kind of wanted to uh, have a moment here to uh, discuss it is I want to just catch up on what everybody's been watching um, at home. So um, why don't we actually first start off with um, Bianca? Um, Bianca, uh, what have you been uh, catching up on over the last couple of days? Yeah, so I watched um, the um, documentary 13. Yes. Which was really incredible. And obviously, I'm don't. I'm not American. I didn't know whether you guys had guessed. Mm. Maybe the accent had given it away. Mm. I, or I'm something. shocked, B. Like, this is news. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm not really familiar with your prison structure at all. And. Uh, I was really horrified and shocked. I mean, there isn't really any other word to describe it, but I am absolutely appalled about this, the condition and, and the amount of uh, uh, how it's risen in the last couple of decades, especially. And it was a, such an eye-opening documentary and moved me to tears. And I, it was tears of just frustration and anger and, and just... I was completely baffled that it's like, you know, I'm not saying that the UK doesn't have its own problems. We do. Um, but at the same time, America, I just, ex- I, you're supposed to be the land of the free. <laughs> and and mm. and it really isn't free for so many people. Um, so that was such a great documentary. It's on Netflix. And I just think if you haven't watched it then make sure you do watch it i just want to say too in regards to it being on netflix watch 13th before you watch the help or just maybe don't watch the help at all maybe yeah (laughs) yeah maybe throwing that out there yeah like do some help by not watching the help Um, boom (laughs) i've and also i've been keeping up to date with the we are one global film festival which is running at the moment and there's some, been some really great films on there some really interesting films from all across um the globe which have really been great to see what uh, um different countries are doing um you know what type of films are being made and um it really feels like uh, you can watch anything and it's new and exciting and i've discovered some really wonderful films just by you know um following in that and uh, it's nice to to have that something like that bring us all together and um i i really hope that they do it next year you know like it shouldn't just mm. be a one-off i'd like to see it recur uh even you know e- even if we can actually go to film festivals properly it'd still be nice to have it there digitally so people who can't necessarily go or can't afford to go um still get the the opportunity to watch films um from all across the world because uh i think it's a we really should be doing more to to watch films 
uh, with different perspectives, not just the same films from our, you know, our Western perspective. Sure. Yeah, no, totally. I definitely agree with you. Uh, that film festival is one that um, I believe it's over, but it was um, it was on YouTube. Uh, they had it all streaming on there. So that was pretty, pretty cool to see. Um, it is over, right? I think it might be its last day today. Oh, but, OK. Um, you can still access the the films for the time being i think they're still up there for uh, if people want to get seek them out and um uh, i just watched one which was a japanese film that was all shot in one take wow it was really really good um so that was called ice cream and raindrops i believe um so and it's only 70 minutes long so um you know put on watch it instead of watching whatever you cat videos or whatever you kids do on youtube uh. <laughs> cool awesome glad to hear it uh josh Parr, what about you well my week has been filled with uh mostly movies that i've already seen um you know there have been some newer stuff like um shirley for instance uh, which we did a review on uh i did enjoy that movie quite a bit um i didn't think it was perfect i had some issues with it but a terrific performance from Elizabeth Moss at the center of it and a really interesting kind of portrait of an artist. So I would definitely recommend people check it out, um, especially if they have Hulu because you can stream it right there. Um, but other than that, it's mostly just been me uh, rewatching some comfort food as of late. Um, the, the one that I think I would just shout out that I, I've already seen, but I want people to kind of rediscover it if they need to is the movie pride from yes. 2014 nice oh my god yes uh it's it's such a lovely movie and i'm also re-watching some films from 2014 and that's outside of the retrospective that we've been doing and that is just such a movie that is so sweet and charming and uplifting and all the performances are great in it and and it works well for pride month so if you're looking for some you know <laughs> some happy gay movies which sometimes can be sort of hard to find. Uh, that is definitely one that I would recommend people check out. That was my favorite movie that year. It's so good. Cool. Good stuff. Awesome. I, I really, really love that. Um, uh, because I have to admit, that's not a movie that I hear tossed around that often in discussion. So, um, is there is it streaming anywhere right now, Josh? That people can check that one out. Um. No, you'd have to rent it, but yeah. you know, it, it could still use your support. It's a very little worth seen it. movie, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's worth the rental. Lauren? <laughs> so this week has been a really interesting week. I've out of the new things that I've seen, I've swatched I've also seen Shirley, which I thought was such a trip. And I encourage everyone to, and anyone to see that. You could check out more of my opinions on the podcast. I also rewatched um, Do the Right Thing because I thought it was appropriate to rewatch. And I think if anyone has never seen it, now is the time to see it. It's a great film. But the fact that it was made in 1989 and we're going through the same exact conflicts is disgusting. And then I crossed off a major blind spot and finally watched Dirty Dancing, which... (laughs) Wait, what? I know, it's bad. <laughs> we all have our blind spots, guys. And I could wow. say that um, why Patrick Swayze's biceps wasn't nominated for any <laughs> major crime because they were putting on a show. What a, right. per- what a performance. 
I, I got nothing else to add to that because I mean, <laughs> what else needs to be said? <laughs> that's really? that's the movie. <laughs> All right, Dan Bear. Um. So yeah, like Josh, I've mostly been watching um some comfort food movies over here, but I did this week um watch a couple of movies that were new to me. Um. I decided that it now was the time, if any, if ever there was one, to watch um, I Am Not Your Negro. Oh, yeah. Documentary mm-hmm. about James Baldwin from a couple years ago, and I had never seen it, and it's so, so good. Um, yeah. I would, <laughs> wow. You can watch that one, I believe, on Amazon Prime right now for free uh and that was really freaking good and then i finally got around to um like actually walking watching circus of books which is a new documentary on netflix which is about a gay porn bookstore on the lovely jewish couple that owns it and that was also really it was interesting and um it was good in a bit of a surprising way i think i wasn't expecting it to go to the places that it went tom didn't you recommend that uh one week uh a while ago mm. i i did indeed there's a sweetness to it because it's made by their daughter yeah Aww. yeah I, I think the fact that it's made by their daughter is also kind of a problem um, i agree because i've also seen it and i think that there is a closeness to that family that I think gets in the way of the more interesting story, but I, I, there are good things about it, but I think the storytelling does suffer a bit from that. And that's basically my issue with it is that like it it, towards about the like halfway to two thirds mark, it sort of becomes less about the store and the, um, the you know obscenity laws and the impact of the story on the community and becomes about the family, which is is not uninteresting, but I think it's the less interesting story to tell. Mm. Interesting. All right, Tom O'Brien. Well, I uh, was kind of busy this week, and uh, uh, between TV and streaming films, I'm going to go from worst to best. Um, Space Force on Netflix. Oof. Awful. Yeah. Awful. Jaw-droppingly bad. Um, someone said to me, oh, who's seen the whole thing, you know, it picks up in episode seven. <laughs> well, good luck. <laughs> I gave it two episodes, and I just wasn't feeling it. Yeah. I'm sorry, three episodes. Three episodes. Oh, my fault. Braver man than I. Yeah. Uh, I would not... Uh, yeah, you, you just... You, you'd be tempted to watch it because of this cast. Um, not only Carell, but uh, John Malkovich, Ben Schwartz, uh, Lisa Kudrow, Jane Lynch. I mean, all great people. And um, nope, just swing and a miss. Yeah. Uh, I uh, also have been watching Quiz, which uh, Bianca has finally gotten over here. Um, uh, oh, yeah. it, it, um. Miniseries about the scandal of... Um, uh, surrounding who wants to be a millionaire in the uh, UK yes, yeah. in 2001. It kind of feels like a play uh, because it was a play. Um, but um, when you have that actors of the talent of Matthew McFadden and uh, Michael Sheen, uh, it's certainly worth a look-see. It just never grabbed me, though. Um, so it's directed by Stephen Frears. Again, um, it's, it's really well-made. 
but uh, I just I wasn't hooked. So uh, it's you know it's it's up it's maybe to your taste. Um, so give it a shot if you're interested in the uh, uh, subject matter. Uh, I join our uh, team in uh, extending huzzas to Hulu's The Great. Uh, the, uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, Tony McNamara has done it again. I mean, the favorite was my, my number one film for 2018. I still love it because what he pulled, what he pulled off in that, in addition with his writing partner was very unique here. It's much more comedic. Um, so you could tell what his contribution to the favorite was, but it's genuinely funny. And, uh, again, another, uh, please, if you have Hulu, um, do everything you can to give it a whirl because it's it's really one of it's really unique. My, my, the biggest prize to me was my favorite of the group was a animated musical comedy series called Central Park. Oh, which is on, oh yeah. <laughs> um, one of the creators is Josh Gad, who you know from Frozen and Book of uh, Mormon. Uh, it's about a family that lives in Central Park, uh, in one of those castles, and uh, the 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 father is uh, the uh, park manager. He's so he he loves Central Park and he tries to keep it up, um, but unfortunately there is a, uh, a, a elderly entrepreneur who wants to buy up Central Park to turn it into condos and shopping malls and things like that. Her her name is. Um, Bitsy Brandenham. Okay. And she well, that's is voiced a name. Yes. <laughs> and she is voiced by, of all people, Stanley Tucci. What? Yes. I love that. Uh, and, yes. And uh, she has a personal assistant whom she abuses, uh, Helen, and she's voiced by David Diggs. Oh, wow. Mm. <laughs> it is interesting. Uh, Swaps. Uh, again, this is another uh, wonderful cast. Uh, Kristen Bell, Titus Burgess, um, Gad is in it as the narrator, uh, Catherine Hahn, and Leslie Odom Jr. So, I mean, you've got really good people here. But unlike Space Force, this is good. So, uh, <laughs> if, you that, if you have Apple um, and you like animation and or musical comedy, uh, it's uh, it definitely worth a look see, and I caught two, two things since we talked last on streaming. One I reviewed uh, for uh, the site, uh, the trip to Greece. This is the fourth series, fourth sh- uh, movie in the series, the trip, um, which is uh, starring Steve Coogan and uh, Rob Brydon, and they have a wonderful chemistry together. It is uh, yeah, it's irresistible watching them banter with each other. Uh, they had uh, they have uh, their big thing. Every 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 film is their dueling impersonations of people. <laughs> and uh, my favorite one this time is that uh, you may remember Steve Coogan played uh, Stan Laurel in Stan, uh, Stan and Ollie, and uh, he's playing Stan. He's doing the voice of Stan Laurel, and playing Hardy is Bryden. But he's doing Tom Hardy <laughs> <laughs> from from the Dark Knight. So when I was going to say which voice of Tom Hardy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's with the mask on, and he's like this. And uh, Coogan as Laurel keeps saying, 
Tom, will you please enunciate? I do not understand your line. <laughs> no, uh, there's Ray Winstone. They're doing an impression of as Henry VIII. I mean, just unusual people, and it's it's, it's wonderful. Plus, pornographically uh, uh, photographed food, and of course, the beautiful Greek yeah. countryside. It's uh, it's it's a vacation, and it's uh, streaming now. And the other one I wanted to mention is a movie I know Matt has seen recently, and that's Driveways. Yes. Oh, so I've good. I've seen that too. It's a lovely, lovely, touching three-hander uh, with Hong Chow from um, uh, Downsizing, and uh, and uh, a, uh, and a wonderful young actor uh, named. Uh, Lucas J, who really carries this film. It's yeah, really his so good. Uh, but it will be remembered as the, one of the final films of the late Brian Dennehy. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing Brian Dennehy on stage, and that guy can bellow. He can reach the mm-hmm. second note. He does not bellow here. He draws, he's quiet, and he draws us in because this character, a former Korean War veteran, is very lonely. And he sees in this young boy the same kind of loneliness, and they strike up an unexpected friendship. It's a beautifully quiet film. Uh, it's only 83 minutes, so you can you can knock this off. But I think you'll want to stay. You'll think a lot about it after it's over. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dennehy is really one of his best film performances. I can't argue with that. Um, so... I'm going to go really, really quickly here. Um, Saw the high note. Uh, We have a podcast review of that. You can listen to to hear my thoughts on it. Um, The Road's Not Taken, uh, which was a film uh, starring Javier Bardem, as well as Elle Fanning. And uh, that was also uh, directed and written by Sally Potter. Wasn't a fan. Hate to to admit it. Good concept. Um, Interesting thematically, but execution was off for me on that one. Um, The Vast of Night which is on Amazon Prime, is probably one of the most technically impressive independent films I have seen this year. Uh, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, spoke to me about how hollow the story and the characters were. And I acknowledge that, but I have to admit, I was really, really blown away by some of the filmmaking that was on display with this one. I was shocked that it was a slam dance uh, movie, not even a Sundance film, uh, because it's very, very rare for movies that premiere there to kind of break through um, in the mainstream. And, you know, during quarantine, this is definitely one that you could sit down and watch. Um, I watched something called The King of Embargo Island. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> More on that next week. Uh, I watched uh, Becky, uh, which was fun. I wasn't expecting it to be uh, a goofy, gory kind of a movie actually and it was I've heard a lot of people say it's like Home Alone but like rated R and there is some truth to that um, you know not something you think about much afterwards it's just a genre uh, you know thriller with uh, some pretty fun moments but it's not something as thoughtful as say Ready or Not which was also a genre film that had moments of violence and was a lot of fun to watch um, saw Tommaso uh, the Italian-American neorealism film from Abel Ferrara. And uh, yeah, I was mixed on this one. Listen, if you're on uh, Ferrara's wavelength, I- I'm sure you'll dig this a lot. And Willem Dafoe's performance is quite good in it. But 
this is not my kind of cinema. I'm not one for contemplative, slow, meditative, just turn on the camera and shoot and, oh, my God, it's art. You know, like, I'm, I'm just not one of those people. <laughs> so, um, but, hey, some people are. So not going to take that away from them. Uh, Driveways, as was mentioned before, I watched that. Really, really, really enjoyed that one. Thought it was lovely. Uh, I saw a premature which I'm ashamed to admit that I did not see earlier in the year. Finally, finally caught up with that one. I thought that was a beautifully told love story. Reminded me a lot of if Beale Street could talk. Um, but very grounded, very authentic, very real. Uh, Zora Howard's uh, leading performance in it was astonishingly good. I think she's going to break out in a very major way, hopefully. Um, and I want to definitely see more work from her for sure. Um, Shirley, as we mentioned, podcast review. You can hear uh, more thoughts on that one. And then last night, I don't know what compelled me to watch this, but this was a documentary I missed in 2017. I saw it was on Netflix. And I saw Hulk Hogan was the uh, image. So I was like, all right, what the hell? And I watched Nobody Speak, Trials of the Free Press. <laughs> and uh, that was a pretty fascinating story that I thought was very frightening in terms of uh, limits of uh, freedom of speech, but uh, one that I wish was made a little bit later into the uh, Trump administration um, and not at the beginning, because I think there would have been more story to tell there. So, but uh, yeah, quite an eventful week uh, in terms of movie watching. Can't wait to watch uh, Defive Bloods uh, coming up uh, this week here, uh, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive. And keep feeling film. Sticking with uh, Shirley, uh, just really quickly here for a second. Um, that was our poll for uh, last week. We asked everyone uh, which is their favorite Elizabeth Moss performance. And admittedly, uh, she hasn't given, you know, I would say many film performances. So the selection was pretty small uh, to choose from. But uh, we were able to cobbled together a top 10 so that was pretty exciting and uh yeah let's see what we got here uh, no television so no top of lake no mad men no handmaid's tale all right i just want to preface by getting that out of the way so uh number 10 is i i i i, I okay yeah was uh the kitchen mm -hmm. all right I, I mean i think that she is one of the better parts of that movie i agree absolutely and it's one of the more probably seen films uh, of her body of work. So that, that I think, makes sense. Uh, number nine is The Seagull, which is a movie I was not a fan of, but I thought she was probably the best part of that movie, honestly. Shout out to Nicole. Yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, number eight is The Square. Mm. She has a small role in that, but quite a memorable mm. one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm not really a big fan of her in the square, but all right. <laughs> Number seven, Girl Interrupted. Oh, baby. Yes. <laughs> Number six. Literally. I am proud that it placed this high. 
people must have seen this right in the nick of time is Shirley. Oh, nice. Nice. All right. Uh, number five is Queen of Earth. Yes. So good. Everyone go find it, see it. It's really good. Number four is The One I Love. Okay. Which I have not seen, so I can't speak to that. That's a really interesting movie. It's a fun premise, and she is good in it. Okay. Number three, Us. (laughs) There you go. And by a difference of nine votes, very, very close. Number two is Her Smell. And number one, The Invisible Man. Yeah, Yeah, I I expected The Invisible Man to be number one, but I'm very, very happy to see that Her Smell was not that far behind it. No, not at all. She's a a great actress. Want to just preface again? (laughs) Talent. We're talking about talent here. We're not talking about the person. Yeah, as a person. (laughs) As a person, it makes her performances that much more incredible, frankly. Or she just finds a lot of things in common with crazy people. (laughs) (laughs) She relates. Touche. So this week, we're asking everyone for the polls. Their favorite Spike Lee film. This is in anticipation for The Five Bloods. His entire filmography is listed. Uh, I've asked everyone to choose up to three. And, you know, because it's like, how do you just choose one? From a guy like Spike Lee, right? Well, and also to give people an option that isn't do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. everyone's going to say do the right thing, obviously. Yeah. That's no surprise. Um, but I, 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 will, I will admit, Spike Lee's been a very interesting filmmaker for me in the sense that, like, I don't always enjoy his movies. I do find them to be quite messy and sometimes um, a little indulgent. But... They're never boring to me, ex- 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 with the exception of Old Boy. Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. that's the exception. Uh, but the reason for that, I think, is because, you know, I-, I think if Old Boy had not been a remake and it was, like, you know, the original, like the first one, and there never had been another movie to compare it to, I think I think people would have been more kind to it, maybe. So there's that to be said for that. But, uh, yeah, let's hear it, everyone. Uh, favorite Spike Lee movies. Uh, what do you guys got? Why don't we uh, kick it over to um, Josh? Let's hear, let's hear what you got. Well, like I said, do the right thing is going to be the answer for most people. And I think it is the correct answer. But just to say something different, uh, I love Malcolm X. I think that that is a really interesting biopic with an incredible Denzel Washington performance at the center of it. Maybe my favorite performance of his in his career. And it is long and indulgent but i think it is doing it in all the right ways and i still find that to be a really incredible movie about a very interesting figure in american history now just because we can uh choose up to three are there any are there two others you want to give a shout out to um well you know i think the only only other one that i actually really would put like as an exceptional piece um is actually summer of sam uh that's a movie that i think had the potential to be something very different than it ended up being. And I think Spike Lee managed to find a way to take this very dark premise that could have been very predictable and trite and uncomfortable and actually found a really interesting spin on it. And I think if that's a movie that you haven't seen or don't even know that much about it, I would highly recommend it because it's not the movie that you would expect it to be. 
All right, cool. Uh, Bianca. Um, well, I, I also really like Malcolm X. Uh, I do like Black Klansman as well. And um, Jungle Fever was uh, another film which I quite enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I really do need to try and um, see more of his films. And I've seen like the main films that people discuss, but I really want to check out Four Little Girls. But I have a feeling it's going to make me cry. And as going to be a hard one to watch but I, I I do really love the fact that um his movies are he's so unlike any other filmmaker and he's not afraid to sort of play around with um elements of storytelling in his own unique way it's really like every every film is sort of exciting to watch even if like you say don't always work at least he's experimenting with film and telling these stories in a new and exciting way that we don't see from other filmmakers absolutely and you know i wanted to say in regards to black Klansmen, i know a lot of us uh always say that it was green book uh, green book versus uh roma and it's like oh roma was like the alternative i honestly think history uh, maybe not from a statistical precursor perspective, uh, but just in terms of when we look back on like what should have won that year, I think it's I think Black Klansman should have won Best Picture in all honesty. You know, I that was my pick that year, and yeah. I thought there was a real narrative. Like the favorites, my favorite movie of that year, and Roma was from a precursor standpoint the number two for obvious reasons, but of that. Of that list, if you were trying to pick a movie that really captured just the moment, the time, and also wanted something to kind of just stand the test of time, I think Black Klansman would have been such a phenomenal choice. And yeah. I saw a tweet about this the other day. It, it's kind of outrageous that in a year of Black Panther, Black Klansman, Blind Spotting, The Hate You Give, um, If Beale Street Could Talk, that Green Book won mm-hmm. Best Picture. Let's not. <laughs> Let's not. As Spike said, not my cup of tea. <laughs> that was one of the best interviews ever at the Oscars. Ever. It's my favorite. My absolute favorite. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, awesome. Uh, let's hear now from Lauren. Um, one film that I want to spotlight from his is um, one of his early ones. It's Sheets Gotta Have It. Oh, yeah. Which I love it. Just telling this awesome cool story about these women and being jazzy and kind of feminist and just girls just wanting to have all of it and not caring what people think about it and I think it's a really great one and I think when you see like early Spike Jones movies it'll shows like the potential that he has and I think those nice 80s ones are awesome so if you haven't checked that one out check out she's gotta have it all right awesome Dan Bear. Um, I mean, I'm going to be very different here and just go to bat for one of my favorites, if not my absolute favorite that I think is very underrated. And that's Chirac. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, (laughs) Um, it is underrated. You're you're 100 percent correct. It's so well done. I look, I it's based on Lysistrata. And I think Lysistrata is an incredibly apt story to be remaking in the 2010s um and you know at at any time in history really but particularly now 
um, when women are standing up and crying out and saying enough is enough. Um, and I, if the performances, uh, Tiana Paris in the lead is just outstanding. Um, Jennifer Hudson in a really small part is also really good. Angela Bassett, obviously. <laughs> um, and it, even Nick Cannon, which is shocking <laughs> is really good in this um and, but there is and samuel jackson of course um and he plays a narrator so even more of course um but there is something on fire with the passion that he made this movie that is just like overflowing and I think that is what some people, what leads some people to decry it as messy and uneven. But for me, it's what makes the movie is that passion. And it, you know, it is, it feels more urgent than anything he's done uh, since the do the right thing Malcolm X heyday and it uh, it really is just overflowing with this energy and um urgency that even now I think is really important and feels very relevant and if you haven't seen it now is a very good time to do so great that's excellent. I, I mean, I couldn't think of a better sales pitch than that. Because <laughs> uh, you're right, it, it is underseen. Uh, and it's it's one that definitely flew under the radar when it uh, initially came out as well. So I do hope that people get a chance to rediscover it. Tom? I'm also a fan of She's Gotta Have It. Mm. Uh, it uh, was my first Spike Lee experience. And I thought to myself, who is this guy? And he, you know, it, it's it was a breath of fresh air to see a movie that openly about sex and still very funny. Uh, and then he follows it up in with school days, which is very daring. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of his nervy films, um, like bamboozled, um, years later. And yes. And then in the complete other direction, um, he showed he can work within a studio film with Inside Man. Oh, God, yeah. It's just it's a crackerjack bit of direction. It just moves. And um, he's working with um, movie stars here, uh, Hollywood movie stars, Clive Owen, Jodie Foster, Christopher Plummer, Willem Dafoe, uh, as well as Denzel. For an artist whose filmography is largely very personal, independent films, I was just so impressed with how easily and effectively he worked within the studio system yeah. to to make this. It's uh, it's a, it's 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 an unusual film in his filmography, but I think it's just t- terrific and one of the best thrillers of um, mid the mid two thousands, uh, and I think it still ha- holds up very nicely. So those would be some other ones to consider. Yeah, and. Um... Obviously, Do the Right Thing, I think, is a masterpiece and one of the best films I think I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm a huge fan of Malcolm X as well. Um, please, 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 please keep making three-hour-long epics, Hollywood, I beg you. Um, <laughs> Black Klansman uh, is, as I said before, honestly, I think hindsight is being really, really kind to that movie and probably should have won Best Picture now. Uh, 
Inside Man is probably my most rewatched Spike Lee movie because I just find it to be so damn entertaining. But a movie that often does not get mentioned a lot is 25th Hour. And that is one that in a post 9-11 New York City uh, was one that I found to be incredibly bold, daring, and has uh, also one of Edward Norton's uh, most underappreciated performances as well. And uh, that that movie also has a hell of a cast, um, as we mentioned before, a lot of name people in that one. Uh, But... Yeah, I mean, everybody mentioned uh, pretty much all the other movies that I would mention. And there's uh, so many others, too, uh, that we did not bring up here. I mean, there's also um, there's Crooklyn, there's Jungle Fever, there's He Got Game. There's Mo Bitter Blues. Oh, yeah. When the levees broke. But there's so many there's so many movies. I mean, this guy's had such a long career. Honorary Oscar winner, adapted screenplay winner for uh, Black Klansman as well. And his career is not done. So we look forward in great anticipation for what he's about to bring us with The Five Bloods, uh, which is a movie that I was very surprised to find out uh, was not actually going to play at Cannes uh, this year when the official uh, selection was announced this week. Um, I thought for sure that, you know, with the release date that uh, that movie would show up there. But maybe because he was uh, supposed to be on the jury this year, uh, maybe that's why it wouldn't have played. But I thought that was also a reason why it might play. Either way, the Cannes uh, Film Festival um, is, was canceled this year, as we all know. However, uh, 56 films made the cut for the 2020 official selection, and these movies are going to be carrying the Cannes label um, logo to other film festivals. It kind of helps to give them a little bit more prestige, helps them to stand out a little bit more uh, to potential buyers, and hopefully um, you know, they can get seen by a couple of folks. Here were some of the ones that uh, definitely stood out. Uh, you have Wes Anderson's uh, The French Dispatch. You've got um, two, two uh, miniseries uh, from Steve McQueen, uh, director of uh, 12 Years a Slave and Widows, Lover's Rock and Mangrove. Uh, we also had, uh, <laughs> oh man, I saw this movie at Sundance, Falling uh, from Vigo Mortensen, which... Um, <laughs> a choice. Uh, I was not a fan of that movie. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually still shocked that there were fans of that movie at Sundance. So uh, that tells you everything that you need to know. Um, Soul, the Pixar film. Not a surprise considering that Pete Doctor's other uh, films, Up and Inside Out, also premiered at Cannes. So uh, that was pretty cool. And it's uh, exciting to see that Soul would have gotten its uh, first boost uh, from the festival. Uh, but yeah, I mean... When you take a look at uh, some of the other ones, I think uh, from an Oscar standpoint, um, I think our eyes immediately went to Ammonite uh, with uh, Saoirse Ronan yeah. and Kate Winslet. I know that we all kind of perked up a little bit when we saw that. So um, I think that's one that, you know, was on our radar before. But the, the fact that we know that it was supposed to play a can uh, makes us still, I think, take some notice. And we'll see where that goes from here. But anything else on the lineup stood out to you all? Um, I noticed that there is a new, uh, Francois Ozan film. Um, he's always an interesting filmmaker. I don't always love his movies, but I think that he is a very fascinating storyteller. So whenever he has a new movie come up, I'm always interested in that. And I did also see that apparently there is a biopic of, um, uh, Rainier Fassbender, the filmmaker. Oh, which I like mm. just found out about like a couple days ago, and 
I mean, that dude lived a very wild life. So I am (laughs) very interested to see how on earth you could take that life and try to make like a two hour movie out of it. I wanted to uh, call attention to uh, Thomas uh, Vintenberg's uh, Another Round starring Mads Mikkelsen, mostly because the last time that those guys collaborated together, they did The Hunt, which was amazing. That was yeah. superb. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing them reteam. And uh, there was a trailer of that release for that film, actually, after the announcement. And uh, it, looked, it looked quite good. I, I'm very intrigued by the Steve McQueen double feature. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially since Lover's Rock is kind of short. Mm-hmm. Like 68 minutes. <laughs> well, like I said, it's supposed to be an episode in a miniseries, apparently. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's not surprising. Ken has done uh, Top of Lake, uh, Twin Peaks. I I also just want to say (laughs) with some, just remember that just because a film is listed as playing a can, that doesn't mean that it's good. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) How many times have they invited Xavier Dolan back? Like, you know, every time. Oh, oh, come on. I mean, look, I'm a fan, but like, we can be real. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It is interesting, though, when looking at this list to ask yourself, though, uh, what film would have won the Palme d'Or and followed in uh, Parasite's uh, footsteps? I think that obviously the Palme d'Or winner from last year going on to win Best Picture, an international film. I think there was a lot of eyes on Cannes this year to see what they would produce content wise and it's a shame that some of these movies that are listed here um from filmmakers we may not know right now uh could have been the launching pad uh to get them more into our uh consciousness and you know could have gotten the film uh some more recognition early on um catapulted it into the uh, best international category if anything so It's a shame that we won't have that this year, but it's nice to know uh, what would have been in play. And um, it'll be interesting to see going forward if any of these other films pop up at other film festivals. Speaking of um, other film festivals and what's going on in the film industry right now, in response to the Black Lives Matter movement, there have been a lot of movies that have been made available uh, for the month of June to stream and watch and rent for free. So I want to just call attention to that really quick here. Uh, Paramount made Selma available uh we did a podcast review on that for our 2014 retrospective and it holds up incredibly well highly highly recommended um just mercy which was released uh no pun intended just last year uh from warner brothers uh was made available uh to rent for free uh neon is going to be doing a series of movies their first one is uh monsters and men an underseen uh, movie that uh, hopefully now some people will finally get a chance to check out with also um, younger performance from John David Washington before Black Klansman and uh, Anthony Ramos as well, who we'll see in uh, in the Heights. Yeah, I really, really do like that movie and it flew under the radar. Not a lot of people got to see it. So I hope more people check it out uh, now that it's been made available. It, it's really, really interesting and a really fascinating movie. And in one of the uh, more bold but exciting uh, developments, uh, anyone that is a uh, subscriber to the Criterion channel uh, received an email from uh, Criterion Collection letting them know that the the paywall 
uh, for movies uh, uh, focused on black cinema is going to be uh, coming down, essentially, and uh, people will be able to watch those movies uh, for free as well. So that was really, really exciting, especially when you consider um, throughout the history of cinema, like just how many offerings there are not just contemporary but you know through criterion uh, these movies have been able to really last uh which is what they're all about so that's that's really really fantastic i mean but also like not only is criterion doing that they're also establishing an employee guided fund to with a commitment to support organizations fighting racism in America that they're endowing with $25,000 initially and $5,000 monthly ongoing which is talk about putting your money where your mouth is yeah mm-hmm. i i think that that can't be um understated because I, that's really like that's doing the damn work and speaking of that um i i you know, I, I want to make it known, too, that uh, for the month of June, uh, Next Best Picture is going to be um, donating every dollar that our Patreon makes this month towards uh, Black Visions Collective in support of the Black Lives Matter movement as well. So for anyone that, like I said before, um, has uh, listened to our uh, Selma review for 2014, all of our other 2014 retrospective reviews or any other content that we put up uh, this month, if you are a new subscriber, an existing subscriber, um, anything that the Patreon makes uh, will be uh, contributed towards uh, that fund as well. Um, There are so many different things that we can all do right now out there, um, little things. um, And it doesn't have to be money if money's tight for you. There's a lot that one can do just in terms of bringing about social awareness um, in a proactive way that helps to support the movement. There are things you could do in your everyday life uh, to call out racism, hold people accountable, make people uncomfortable and have tough conversations, whether it's with friends or family members. And I think right now we're starting to see that more and more, um, not just um, in our personal lives, but also too in organizations as well. And to see like Criterion uh, Collection um, do what they're doing, Dan, it's it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're an organization right now that has not taken a stance on this matter, like who are you? I think you really need to like re-examine your values at that point. And believe me, there have been a lot of stories about that over the last week for various <laughs> corporations. So, yeah. All righty. Uh, now, at this time, uh, what I'd like to do is I would like to move over to our uh, fan questions for this week and see what the uh, MVP film community had to submit for us for games and also two for questions. So let's take a look. Hello everyone, this is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay, yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not ki- how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's oh, what you're I, I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That's just how <laughs> it works. Uh, this one goes back to Elizabeth Moss. 
at two peas on a pod asks, will Elizabeth Moss have to wait as long as Leonardo DiCaprio did to hold an Oscar in our hands? Well, I mean, Leo had five <laughs> nominations yeah. at that point, yeah. I believe. So, I mean, also, like, depending on how this year goes, I'm going to say a long time because Leo was working in big blockbuster attention grabby movies and Elizabeth Moss does not do that. She mainly works in indie films and small, like really small indie films at that. So in order for her to get Oscar's attention, it's going to take something more, I think. And who knows how long that's going to be. And I fear that if she ever does win, it'll be for something comparatively crappy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's she, just the way these things go sometimes, right? So, yeah. yeah. No surprise there. Scott Kernan asked us, which independent auteur director do you think um, is most likely to gain attraction and become Oscar nominated in the next couple of years? So he listed some examples here. Uh, he listed a lot of A24 folks. Uh, Robert Eggers, Ari Aster, Lulu Wang, Josh Benny Safdie, Trey Edward Schultz, Bo Burnham, etc. Mm. Oh. So who is likely to make that Oscar friendly project that Dan was kind of alluding to, like with Elizabeth Moss? Well, let's see. Since Ari Aster announced his next film was going to be a four-hour nightmare. <laughs> you love to see it. It's going to be. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people thought the Safties came yeah. pretty close yeah. last year. So I think that they kind of feel like they're on the trajectory of becoming a little bit more into the mainstream. And considering that they were really in the conversation last year, they might. I don't think it's going to be like their next movie, but they seem to be building up towards finally getting into that threshold, especially if it's just convincing the director's branch. Yeah, they're on the doorstep. Um, this this is a director that's not listed here, uh, but I was thinking about this movie the other day. Joe Talbot, what he did with The Last Black Man in San Francisco, I have no yes. doubt that at some point the right project is going to land in his hands. Most likely I, I, I just, I, I, I could feel it while watching that, that I was watching like the birth of a new exciting filmmaker. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think this list very exciting. The, I think the most Academy friendly person on it might be Bo Burnham. If he yeah. gets another, you know, for chance writing. To, for writing. I assume oh, yeah, getting for writing right. first over directing 100%. Yeah. yeah. I could see Lulu Wong uh, making a jump like Ava DuVernay did uh, from uh, what she did with uh, Middle of Nowhere and then going to Selma. I could see her jumping mm-hmm. from something like The Farewell to something bigger. And I could also see her getting for writing. Yeah. 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 Well, and also similarly, like what. Ava DuVernay did with going from kind of smaller movies to also then just getting into the big budget studio system with Disney. Uh, I think you can maybe see something like that for Chloe Zhao, who is directing, what is it? The Eternals right now Mm -hmm. for Marvel. And I mean, the writer is a really, really strong movie from her. And now that she's sort of quote unquote in the system, she might be now on the radar for a lot more people. And look at like Taika Waititi and how uh, with Thor Ragnarok, he didn't just go on to make another big budget blockbuster film after that. He used that clout to make Jojo Rabbit. And I think that's when you see 
uh, those directors um, typically then get more faith in the studio to get the bigger push. They have more notoriety at that point. And obviously he's going back to uh, Thor again now. But um, I, I think that if their uh, their attempt at making a bigger movie is a hit, uh, hopefully it, like it is for Chloe Zhao, I could then see her uh, making a smaller movie uh, that's you know a passion project afterwards. And then that could be the one. Yeah, does she have something coming out with uh, Frances McDormand? No Man Land. Oh, yeah. my God. I've been waiting for that forever. <laughs> Who knows when we'll see that? Seriously. Yeah. Who knows when we'll see any movie these days? <laughs> True. True story. All right. So uh, some games here uh, right now. Oliver uh, Hefferington Page uh, is asking us some what ifs pre-1980 edition. What if... Shirley MacLaine won Best Actress for The Apartment. Hmm. I, think uh, she, well, I don't think it would have changed anything, honestly. You think she would have won again? Yeah. yeah. I mean, for terms of endearment, come on. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. rolled strong. Yeah, I think you got to look at the competition, uh, the other actresses involved. And I, I, I'm i inclined to agree. I, I think that she still would have won again. Yeah. And there's enough time between the Oscars from 1960 to 1983. Listen. So yeah. that's mm-hmm. uh, this one definitely, I think, would be different. Uh, what if Al Pacino won Best Actor for The Godfather Part Two? There's no way in hell he would have won <laughs> for Scent of a Woman. Oh, no way. No way. He may not have even gotten nominated for Scent of a Woman. I think he would have gotten nominated. But here's the thing, though. I don't know. I want to think that Denzel Washington would win for Malcolm X. But I'm not I'm not as convinced. Well, who do you think would have won that year? The best actor race was Al Pacino for Scent of a Woman, obviously the winner, Robert Downey Jr. for Chaplin, Clint Eastwood for Unforgiven, Stephen Ray for The Crying Game, Denzel Washington for Malcolm X. And it's like I look at the fact that Malcolm X had that not uh, like Malcolm X just wasn't embraced across the board, like no best picture nomination. And it's like I don't see them giving it to Clint for Unforgiven. no. 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 And Stephen Ray's nomination for The Crying Game, I just... That was the coattails for the movie. Yeah, like, I don't feel that necessarily. So then, it, like, to me, it comes down between Downey and uh, Denzel. And I... Uh, that's tough. Because here's the thing. Had Downey's issues caught up to him by that time, or was it post that nomination? It was... I'm pretty sure it was post that. You have two great actors playing beloved icons. I, I, I don't know. I, I listen. I want to say it. I want to say it is Denzel Washington from Malcolm X. I really want to. <laughs> but given that it's the Academy and it's yeah, 1992, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what I'm. Wor- that's what I'm worried about. <laughs> I, yeah. Like if Malcolm X had ever, had like another nomination in one of the major categories somewhere, director, screenplay, something, I would easily say yes. Did Chaplin have yeah. another nomination? I think it only because how many nominations did that have? I think it only had three. Chaplin had art direction, score, and actor. Yeah, yeah, and Malcolm X had Denzel, and I think costume design. So, like, their nominations are pretty even mm-hmm. as it is. And I, I understand that yes, it's the '90s, and yes, it's you know that same mentality that you have to deal with. But at the same time. Denzel was already in the club. He had already won an Oscar by that point. Right. He was very, very likable. He was already a, a bankable star. 
I I still think that despite the issues people had with that movie at the time, that he was still number two. And if it wasn't for the overwhelming support for Pacino, he would have won. I agree. Mm. I think he had more precursors than Downey, too. Yes, he did. And I feel like Downey still had that bad boy rep, even though his issues weren't that prevalent at that time. Mm. All right. And then uh, last one uh, listed here. What if Mike Nichols won Best Director for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Mm. He probably wouldn't have back-to-back Oscars. No, I don't think he would win for The the Graduate in that case, no. You know, it it always baffles me that The Graduate won Director and nothing else, still to this day. Not because I don't think it deserves that award. I think it wholeheartedly deserves that award. But I'm amazed that it also couldn't win in, in, in another category that year. So, looking at then if if they gave it to him for that because they didn't give it to him for who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, like let's imagine that he doesn't win again. Who takes it that year? It's gotta be for Bonnie and Clyde. Arthur right? Man. Like You don't think hmm. <sighs> Norman Jewison uh for in the heat of the night though. Yeah. I mean maybe, but that was one of those spread the wealth years. I don't yeah, and so many people uh, commented on the direction um, yeah. that brought. Uh, and, you know, it's like right now, now people don't think about him as being, you know, a major auteur. But back then, he was very, mm-hmm. he had that Alice's Restaurant and big, Arthur Penn movies were a big deal. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, yeah, Arthur Penn. We'll go with that. Yeah, it's between him and Jewison, but I uh, um I'll go with Far for Penn. I'd still think it would have been a split year then. That sounds right. Yeah. All right, Ethan May. Choose what movie the craftsperson should have won an Oscar for, but you are knowingly replacing the winner of that year. Craftspeople. Okay. First up, Terrence Blanchard. Mm. Uh well, what did he win for, let's say? All right, so <laughs> Terrence Blanchard is mostly like uh, you know, Spike Lee's go to guy. Yeah. Right. So he's done Malcolm X. He's done Jungle Fever. He's done Bamboozle, 25th Hour, Inside Man, Miracle Santana, Chirac, Black Klansman, Harriet last year. (laughs) And Glitter. I mean, I would be all right with him winning for Black Klansman. I thought that was actually a really good score from him. I predicted him to win. (laughs) I did, too. Actually, no, I think I predicted uh, Beale Street to win, if I remember correctly. So never mind. But I I do remember that that race was was a good one. Like, how in God's name could anyone know what was going to happen there? Like, that was crazy. It was very all over the place. I would say Black Klansman. Um, I I mean, listen, I... (laughs) I, I like that Ludwig has a uh, has an Oscar, uh, but I don't think the Black Panther score is still like that incredible. Uh, but that's just me. It's not, and I it it pains me because like that's the only one that I would give Blanchard the Oscar for. But also, I I wouldn't give him the Oscar that year because if Bill Street could talk, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think if you had to pick one, that is yeah, that his would be best the best work. I agree. Because yeah, to be honest with you, I have sort of a maybe an unpopular opinion about him at least in terms of his work with spike lee i never find the scores go that well with spike lee's movies they're always 
I don't know. There's something about it that just does never fit with what I'm watching on screen. But Black Klansman was the one where it seemed to fit the most for me. Well, we'll have to see what happens with uh, Defy Bloods this week. So, yep. Next up, legendary Quincy Jones. Mm. So for Quincy Jones, we've got In the Heat of Night, In Cold Blood, um, The Counterfeit Killer, Jigsaw, The Italian Job. Him and what, like 10 other people for the color purple? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I honestly, I. That jazz score for In the Heat of the Night is really impressive. In the Heat of the Night is good. But what's the. I also really love his score for In Cold Blood, too. Oh, yeah. That would be over Elmer Burstein for Thoroughly Modern Millie. Yeah, uh, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. I'd be very okay with that. I mean, <laughs> just because I don't like this movie like at all, can I just do Color Purple over Out of Africa, please? <laughs> I mean, John Barry had enough Oscars at that point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Look, I recognize that The Wiz is not a great movie. It's got a lot of problems, but... <laughs> I love The Wizard of Oz just in general. I love just anything associated with that. And he has like an adapted score nomination for it. I'd give it to him for that just because I do love the music anyway. I can get behind that. (laughs) Uh, Next up is Max Richter, who has never been nominated for an Oscar. Can you say Arrival? (laughs) Yeah. I'm not going to say Arrival because then it's like, do you say Shutter Island? Well, I mean, but the joke being that I know, I know, arrival is what cost uh, yep. the other guy his nomination. Uh, so for me, it's between Hostiles and Ad Astra. Yeah, Ad Astra is really good. Mm. I like the Ad Astra score, but I don't love it. I did really like the Hostile score. The Hostile score is really, really good. Uh, that's yeah. 2017, so that would be over Alexandra Desplat for The Shape of Water, who had already won before. So I can live with that. No, I love that score so much, though. <laughs> How about Mary Queen of Scots, 2018? That was a decent score, too. I just uh-huh. thought that score was fine. Yeah. I didn't think it was exceptional. It didn't stand out from other other movies in that genre to me. I agree. So, what would you do? What would you do, Dan? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen Hostiles. Um, so I can't say that. Um, Just do Ad Astra. Call it a day. Eh. <laughs> it's I, wait. No, he did the score for Waltz with Bashir, too. Mm-hmm. So that would be away from uh, Slumdog? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. That's it's, okay. Like, I like Slumdog, but doesn't need an Oscar. It's it's fun to listen to you struggle, Dan. <laughs> I well, that's when you don't love any of their work. It's like I would have given him an Oscar uh, for the leftovers, and I don't care about its television. <laughs> that's my stance. <laughs> that's that's the thing. Like that is his best work, and it really is. Yeah, by a lot. Mm-hmm. All right, next up, the many times nominated but never a winner, James Newton Howard. Oh. Um, mm. yeah, that's a that's a bit of a tough one. Um, where do you begin? Uh, how about like last year you know here's the thing about that i as you know i adored his score for a hidden life i really did and i i i have it on repeat on my phone i like here's the problem though it's 
kind of just one track in the movie. <laughs> so that's kind of the problem. <laughs> but I literally don't care. It's really good, though. <laughs> it is really good. So the village is the one that immediately comes to my mind. You know what I would do? Here's what I would do. I would give it to both him and Hans Zimmer for The Dark Knight in 2008. Yeah, that's yeah. sort of where yeah. I'm feeling, too. And I do really like the score to Slumdog Millionaire. It's actually one of the things that I think is the better things of that film. But if I had to pick something to give it um, to uh, James Newton Howard for, I would say The Dark Knight score. And I mean, and if you don't want to do that because of Slumdog, then I mean, there's always Batman Begins in 2005. Yeah, but then that's taken away from Brokeback, and I cannot sanction removing an Oscar from Brokeback Mountain. That's fair. True. I get that. Um, King Kong, maybe? I'm trying to, like, I keep looking at, like, all the movies that he's scored, and, like, I like the movies and don't necessarily remember the music. Yeah, that's the thing I always find is with his scores is that they're like they're solid and they're good yeah. but they're never really that memorable to me they work for the movie that they're in but that's sort yeah. of like all that they do and as soon as the movie's over with the the music does not really stay with me afterwards yeah. it's like would i have given it to him for the fugitive was there a score for the fugitive <laughs> was there a score for the sixth sense i don't remember like i don't remember there being music in these movies it's very like 90s mainstream composing to me yeah, yeah. and that yeah. that's why i think part of why i so I want to give it to him for a hidden life because that is so different and has such flavor to it. Alex North going, uh, going back a ways here. We've got Cleopatra Spartacus. Who's afraid of Virginia Wolf. I do like the music for Spartacus streetcar named desire. Streetcar named desire scores. Yeah. Yeah. That might be it. I think that's the one for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm sticking with Cleopatra. I, I, I Cleopatra, I can't man. Give that movie any Oscars? In terms of movies that are excessive, there was The Wolf of Wall Street, and then there was Cleopatra. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Elfman. Pee Wee's Big Adventure over Out of Africa. Well, I was going to say he didn't do the score for Big Fish, did he? Or did oh, he? He did. Or oh, then. Big fish. Definitely. That would be over Lord of the Rings Return of the King. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I but really I thought... want to say Edward Scissorhands. Oh, yeah. That's so good. That's good, actually. I do or, like oh, no, wait. Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute, though. Wait a minute, though. That's 93, isn't it? Yeah, it's not. No, I can't do that over Schindler's List. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, yeah and unfortunately, you can't do song either because that's over Philadelphia. And no, I, I love that song. Yeah, Edward Scissorhands. It is then. <laughs> it's 1990, so that'd be over Dance of the Falls. Oh, okay. Yeah, just take everything away from John Barry. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, or if it wasn't that, then I'd say Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice is going to be my answer. That is my favorite. Day Beetlejuice is mine. Yeah. It's a good one. What about the Batman score? Oh, it's very campy. It's iconic. Yeah. And I love that and Batman Returns. I think both of those scores are great. Yeah. Uh, Beetlejuice. Yeah. 
Yeah, the Beatles would be my answer. Say it three don't times say, and it might happen. Don't say three. No, we can't do that. Twenty twenty is already bad enough. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sticking with Pee Wee. Okay. God, I hope he gets one at some point. I really do. I he. It, the, yeah, the man is a freaking legend. Seriously, and it is such a travesty that his only nomination for a Tim Burton movie is Big Fish. Yeah, Big Fish is a good movie. It is, and I'm glad that he got nominated. But the fact that that's the only one when his collaboration with Burton is like so incredible, but that's the only thing that he's ever gotten. I just find that to be such a shame. Yeah. Last one, Johan Johansson. <laughs> I'll take I, it, it away from the hateful eight. I I cannot sanction not I giving Ennio yeah. Morricone <laughs> that Oscar. It's only one. <laughs> um, I will get to this, but I really like his score for Theory of Everything. Like really. Yeah, I can't. I can't do Arrival. Um, unfortunately, over La La Land, and I also. So I, I'm not. I'm not touching. Sicario, because I mean that that theme is really cool. Don't get me wrong, but I just it's not enough for me. Theory of everything makes I think the most sense. It does, but man, it's if you have Interstellar in that group, it's hard for me to just overlook that. Yeah. Like I, I can't. I'm with you, but it, but Interstellar, Interstellar didn't win. So if it was never going to win, and you're just doing Grand Budapest versus Theory yeah. of Everything, that's that's an easy call for me. And I understand, but it's almost like just seeing Interstellar. Just I, it overrides everything else in my mind. I lose all logic, and I just have to say Interstellar. <laughs> okay, fair enough. And that is a great score. What about Prisoners, though? Uh, n- uh, that like like The Fugitive or something like that. Like it's just not it's just not a memorable score. Oh, yeah. I love the film, but I I don't remember the score. No. The Mandy score, though. Yeah. Mandy. Let's talk about yeah, that, that for a yeah. moment. <laughs> what a. <laughs> that was. What a film. What yeah. a score. What an experience. And who and who could ever forget his absolutely memorable uh, work on Mother? That was that was a joke. That there is no score in Mother. Yeah. <laughs> it was unused. <laughs> uh, anyway, Johan, miss you. All the all the great things he could have done. Yeah. All right. Last thing for the day. Uh, this one comes from Isaiah Washington. Of the snub nominations from African Americans, take out one person from that year to put uh, to squeeze to squeeze them in. Uh, first one, John David Washington for Black Klansman, Best Actor. Who would you have taken out of that lineup? Uh, Vigo. <laughs> mm, I mean, this. I feel like that is the easy answer <laughs> for sure. Well, no. Well, the options are Viggo Mortensen for Green Book, Willem Dafoe at Eternity's Gate, Bradley Cooper, A Star is Born, Christian Bale and Vice, Rami Malek, Bohemian Rhapsody. And the answer is easy for me. Rami Malek, Bohemian I Rhapsody. Rami oh. out, yeah, yeah I can say, yeah. Because as much as like Green Book has issues, I think Viggo does give a good performance in that. I, my thing with that is he is so over the top. Yeah. There is nothing good about Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> there, but, you know, like, I don't... The thing is, is that I fault Vigo for that performance. I don't fault Rami Malek for the deficiencies in that performance. I blame the script. Mm. No, get yeah. him out of there. <laughs> yeah. That whole lineup is, like, just... 
it's travesty. not great. It's, it's yeah. so terrible. You were reading those names, man, and I just got depressed all over again about how bad that lineup was. That was a rough year, definitely. Come on, Defoe was great. He was fine. He was fine. It was okay. And let's be honest, that was even Hawk's time. I mean, Hello. yeah. Let's, yeah. That was his moment, and they took it away from him, and it was very upsetting. Speaking of someone having a moment with the critics uh, groups, uh, Lupita Nyong'o in Us for last year. And for those of you that have already forgotten, (laughs) Best Actress last year was Charlize Theron for Bombshell, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, Scarlett Johansson Marriage Story, Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, and Renee Zellweger for Judy. I take out Cynthia Erivo, which I know is bad. I take out Scarlet. Yeah. Oh, no. no, I can't. I can't do that. Oh, but she's I, in for JoJo, so yeah, yeah. Like that's the thing. Like I don't want to take it away from either from any of them. I think it's a really good lineup. But if I had to, Scarlett Johansson already has an Oscar nomination that year, so <laughs> I would take it away from Charlize. I'm not really a fan of her performance in that film. I. I think I might agree with Josh there. Yeah, I think I would take out Charlize. And, you know, if you asked me last year, I don't think I would have said that. But looking back on it now and I look at these performances again, uh, hindsight wise, it's like, yeah, because I don't listen. I didn't like Harriet as a movie, but I thought Cynthia Riva was great. And she carried that movie on her shoulders like incredibly well. Charlize, though, I just... Maybe because I'm comparing it too much to Monster in terms of makeup transformation performances. You can't, though. Yeah. If you compare anything to Monster, it's going to lose. Yeah. And that performance is so much more than just a good makeup job, honestly. Like, I I, I wrote a whole thing about it. Like, (laughs) I love that performance. Right. So, yeah, that's what I would do. I would do Lupita over Charlize. Ooh, Okay, so this one you could do for either adapted screenplay or director. Ryan Coogler for Black Panther. Oh, I wouldn't do adapted screenplay. I would do director uh, 100%. I mean, can I say that I wouldn't do it for either? Like, if I would do it for one, I guess I would do it for adapted screenplay, but I don't want to take out any of that lineup. There's nothing special about the screenplay. Yeah, so in that lineup, you have A Star is Born, If Beale Street Could Talk, Can You Ever Forgive Me, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and Black Klansman. Oh. Wait, no, I would absolutely put it in over A Star is Born. Sorry. I forgot that that got nominated there. I would absolutely give him for screenplay over Star is Born, 100%. If that was the choice, I would agree, yeah. I... Hmm... Or, I mean, I know that you're not going to agree with this, Matt, but Adam McKay for Vice can go and I could replace him with. Uh, I, I was actually thinking about that. Honestly, yeah. I was yeah. thinking about that, but I think the movie is more. I think it, I think it's writing is better than its direction. And it's only because I and I know. But that's that final fight sequence is not his fault. Um, it was the visual effects team. So I can't fault him for that. Uh <laughs> the Oscar winning visual effects. Well, it didn't win it didn't win the Oscar. <laughs> I know, I'm joking. But people thought it was going to. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I would do it over a Star is Born and Adapted. That's easy. I would do that. Uh Oprah Winfrey for the Butler. What was the what? supporting lineup that year? Yeah. Yes. Twenty thirteen. 
Lupita Nyong'o, Oscar winner for 12 Years a Slave, Sally Hawkins, Blue Jasmine, Jennifer Lawrence, American Hustle, Julia Roberts, August Osage County, June Squibb for Nebraska. Mm, Julia Roberts for me, I think. Well, I mean, seeing as how she should be in lead. Yeah. Very easy decision. Yeah. Yeah, that's an easy easy call. I would do the same thing. Based on quality of performance, I couldn't do it there, but based on the fact that she should be lead. <laughs> yeah, if I'm going by quality of performance, and I know that this is going to be unpopular, I would say June Squibb. I find that to be a very good performance. Honestly, I would have said that too. She's very cute, but there's not a lot of there there. I agree. Like, she's a cursing granny, and we all love a cursing granny, and I, yeah, I get it, but like, <laughs> is that an Oscar-worthy performance? Like, I, I don't think so. Last one. We started with Spike. We're ending with Spike. Spike Lee, best director. Do the right thing. Line up. Peter Weir, Dead Poet Society. Jim Sheridan, My Left Foot. Kenneth Branagh, Henry V. Woody Allen, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Oliver Stone, born on the 4th of July. I get rid of Woody Allen. I get rid of Peter Weir. It's conventional. I get rid of Woody Allen, too. Yeah... I like that movie so much, though. Sorry, Michael Schwartz. He <laughs> uh, already has something, you know. Yeah. And like so many he's on the movies. downfall. Like it's not going to get better for him. So he goes by. Yeah, because like for me, Woody Allen, Jim Sheridan, and Peter Weir are all kind of in that camp here of it's all fine direction for me. And the thing with Woody Allen is that he has movies that are very well directed, but a lot of times they are more writing showcases than they are directing. And I think Crimes and Misdemeanors is one of them. I agree. You know what? For that argument alone, I'm I'm doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I think Woody can go of those three that I mentioned easily. You talked me into it. Uh, Although, like, Tom, I don't disagree with you now in terms of, like, the direction of Dead Poet Society just being fine. Um. That slow motion moment of when he discovers like his son's body still makes me cringe. That's yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, so I'll do it here uh, for this week. Before we go, does anybody have anything they want to say? Stay safe, uh, everybody. Yeah. Just you know, I know that it that things in the world always seem like they want to reset back to normal, but just try to resist that urge that we still need change and we still need to fight for it. So. Just always keep it in your mind going forward into the future because that's the only way we're going to get actual change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone, you know, have a good week. Rest, watch good movies. Everyone, that is, of course, except Lady G. <laughs> yeah, and if you can donate, um, please sign petitions and take up those offers of the free films uh, by people of color, about people of color, because just watching films told from that perspective does educate you on their way of life. Even though it's not quote-unquote mm-hmm. like learning from a textbook or learning from books, you're still seeing life through that lens so please take up those offers if you haven't seen any of those films and share as well um get the get the word out there and spread it as well um because it it helps you know those filmmakers if you see something and you have been moved to tears and impacted by it then you know spread it on and uh, it will get there to more and more people and that's the most important thing right now. 
yeah, agreed with everything that everyone said. Um, I don't want to sound like a broken record. I think I've said everything that I've wanted to say here as well. So uh, with all of that said from the rest of you, Josh Parham, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Bianca Gardner. Yeah, I'm back on Twitter. <laughs> you can find me <laughs> at the film B. But um, I really sort of encourage people to uh, take a break from social media and just do some detoxing because it does help, and especially with emotions running high at the moment. And um, your mental health is important, so um, please do bear that in mind. Yeah, I mean, B, we're happy that you're uh, back um, and we support, uh, you know, both when you decided to take that break or leave permanently, whatever it was, obviously your mental health is um, most important to us. And um, to all of our listeners out there, same thing. Um, you know, your safety and well-being is something that we d- deeply care about. And we've had a lot of messages from people just simply thanking us for continuing to do the show. And um, we've been told that what we do here is a bright spot in a lot of people's lives. And um I'm glad, Bianca, that, um, you know, when you told me that you would be uh, coming back, but in a limited capacity still, that it's because of the community here and uh, the good vibes uh, that we are able to uh, send out from time to time. So that that was really cool. And I thank you for that. And for the memes, of course. Of course. <laughs> we love a good meme. Lady G. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. All righty. Uh, Lauren, where can I find you on the Internet? You guys can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamengo. Tom O'Brien. If you're on Twitter, please be kind to other people. Um, it's t- it is this week and this period is tough on all of us. Um, and especially be kind to me because you can find me at Thomas A. O'Brien. <laughs> and Dan Bear. <laughs> and you can find me spreading all the Lady G memes. You can stand at dance and dan on film and you can find me at next best picture thank you so much everyone for listening to episode 197 of the next best picture podcast you can subscribe to us on itunes soundcloud google play stitcher tune and player fm acast Castbox, also on spotify be sure to leave us a review on apple Podcasts. let us know what you think of the show we uh, really appreciate your feedback and your support which you can lend on over at patreon for one dollar minimum a month you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us and as i said before um we're donating um our um patreon contributions this month for the month of june over to uh black visions collective thank you so much for listening as always and we shall see you all next time